get started here. Um, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for gathering us here today. Lord, we thank you for the work that you are doing. Father, the Spirit is present and it is palpable here in this church. And we are so grateful, Lord, that we might know that you are here with us. We pray that you might anoint our time now, that we might learn about who you are, Lord, that we might learn about your incredible and compelling plan of redemption and rescue, Lord, for us. Not just that we might hear it, because, Lord, we do need to hear it. Lord, we need to hear it preached over and over and over, and we need to know it more and more and more. But more so, and even so, Lord, that we might be compelled because of this incredible story that you've been writing for all of time, that we might be compelled outward, Lord, to those uh, who don't know this story, who think they know it, but don't quite understand exactly what it is uh, that your gospel says. Lord, would you let us be uh, vessels of truth in this world, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, it looks like most of y'all have seen that, but we do in the back table. We've got Bibles out, and we've got a handout um, as well. Uh, If you want to follow along, you can take notes on one side, and then on the back of that handout, um, there is... uh, a summary of what our kids are learning in their class. And again, it mirrors what we're doing in here, um, but this way, parents, you have an idea of, of what they're learning, and so you can ask questions and, um, and have some conversations. And then on the bottom, um, on this page, towards the bottom, you see some family homework, and we're going to get to that uh, towards the end, and I'll explain what that is uh, as well. Again, every age group is learning something similar at their level to what we are doing here today, uh, and so we're going we're gonna to jump right in. This first, this page is notes, so if you want to write on that, you can. The first thing that I want to address as we sort of jump into this new series uh, is what exactly is the point of what we're doing here? Why are we choosing this as our primary focus, this idea of this, this one story uh, that we get all called up into, that we are all a part of? Uh, what is the point? Why do we need to know this? Uh, if, if, I, if I can't make that clear here from the beginning, then um, I, I'm not sure why you are here. We'll come back next. So. Uh, I'm going to start with that. Um, there's this excellent teacher. His name is Tim Mackey. Um, if you've heard of uh, the Bible Project, they put out these incredible videos. I recommend a couple for you to, to watch. Um, and and, and I'm, I'm borrowing an illustration that he has. Uh, and so he was saying, uh, if, you as a, if you as a Christian, if you were to go to a coffee shop and you had a sign out front, right, and you wrote on this sign that said, I'm a Christian, Tell me what I believe. He said, what do you think the world would say about what Christians believe? And how close to the actual gospel do you think it would be? Now that is, I haven't done it yet. Maybe I'm lack, I don't know, guts. I don't know. I kind of want to do it. But, but he goes on and, and looking at that uh, illustration on the front page, he sort of maps out. He says, this is what the world thinks that we as Christians believe. Let me explain it. So, so you see there, there's a circle that says the earth, right? That's where we live. That's us. There's the earth. And then there's this straight line. That's time progressing. And then at the end of our life, right, uh, call the curtains. And, and then we've got two choices. There's heaven above and there's hell below. Uh, and we tend to think of those as these sort of, uh, you know, uh, uh, sort of 
bodiless, physical-less, spiritual kind of places. There's harps in heaven and, and clouds, right? And then in hell, it's like some sort of, uh, I think Tim Mackey says it's a, some subterranean torture chamber, right, is what we think of as hell. All right, and so then y'all see that squiggly line, right? This, this is our life. And so we go through time, and sometimes we're a little above the line. Sometimes we're a lot above the line. Sometimes we're a little below it. And you see, as life goes on, we sort of have these ups and these downs and these, and these swings. And what the culture thinks the gospel says is that our hope is that we have enough above the line that we can end up in the good place. And if we don't, if we have more below the line, well, then we, we end up in the bad place, right? That subterranean torture chamber. Right? That is, in a nutshell... What many people believe the gospel says. What many people believe Christians actually think, right? My fate is actually based on the choices that I make. Or maybe it's based on, uh, on the secret knowledge that I have, right? If I, if I have the right collection of beliefs, well then, boom, I get to, I get to enter through those, those pearly gates, right? So it's, somehow it's based on my choices, what I think, what I believe, what I do. The problem with this, there's lots of problems with this, but the primary problem with this is that it is completely wrong. And the main reason it's completely wrong is because the primary actor in this story is us, right? It's my choices. God has sort of set out the, 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 the landscape, right? And we get to choose based off of how we act where, where we end up. And maybe God is, is influencing us like a gravitational pull upward, right? But there's also that other guy. Right, and he's got his own sort of gravitational pull. Right? And we, we think and we hope that God is stronger than him and can influence us more than, than that other guy can. The primary problem is that this is based off of us being the primary actor in our lives, but that is not what the gospel says. The gospel says that we are called up into God's story. And it's a story that has been going on long before us. And it's a story that we imagine is going to keep going long after us. We don't exactly know when the next chapter comes, but we know that it's God's story that is, that is going and that we are being called up into. Look at, in your Bibles, look at Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. I want to give you some evidence to, to show you that I'm not making this stuff up. If you're here because you think that I'm smart, that's a problem. I need you to see that, that this is in Scripture. Look at Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. First four words. In the beginning, God. Let's just stop there. There's a lot there, right? Four words. In the beginning, God. It's not in the beginning you. It's not in the beginning me. It's not in the beginning humans. It's in the beginning God. So part of what we're going to be looking at uh, especially today, is what does it mean to be God? What, what does it mean to actually be God? But what we see here, right from the very beginning, the first sentence of Scripture, is that He is the one who is writing the story. He is the one who is in charge. He is the one that is calling us into what He is doing. Now, the reason this is important for me to spend some time going over this at the very beginning is because the truth is we might actually uh, believe what the world believes about the gospel. 
And so we have to get this straight because there's a more compelling story out there. there there's a more uh, loving and, and heart-wrenching, gut-wrenching at times uh, story, one that produces a, a righteous anger at times, but one that calls us and that makes sense of the world in a way that's much, much more compelling than this, this little diagram here. And so we need to know that for ourselves. We need to know who, who Jesus is. We need to know what God has done in our lives, but we also need to be able to articulate it. We need to be able to, to say, if that's what you think we believe, well, let me show you and tell you what it is that I actually believe. Not just in our words, but in our, in our actions, in our lives, right? And so we're going to hit these sort of major moments in this story. We don't have a lot of time to dive in real, real, real deep, um, but we are going to hit the, the six sort of major things that tell the story of everything, right? It tells us about ourselves. It tells us about the world that we live in. It tells us about what God did with that world, what we did to screw it up. But it's not a story about us. It's a story about God. So we're going to look today at creation, and then we're going to look at the fall next week. We're going to look at, and that's not the season, the fall, right? That's the fall sin, just to be clear. Uh, and then we're going to look at promise, redemption, restoration, and new creation. So that's, that's where we're going. Uh, and you can join us each week, and we're, we're progressing down through this story of redemption uh, that God has done. So that's uh, creation, fall, promise, redemption, restoration, and then new creation. Let's jump in. Let's take a look at the story of creation. Open your Bibles if you haven't done so. Hopefully they're still there. We're in Genesis chapter 1. I've got to clear some papers out of here. Get to those. All right, we're in Genesis chapter 1. We're going to take a look at chapters 1 and 2. There's a, a lot of things that go on in Genesis 1 or 2. Um, I can tell you that, we, like I said, we're not going to be able to cover it all. We're just going to hit sort of the major notes, the major highlights about this. So we're going to do uh, keep your fingers sort of on the text because we're going to be jumping through it a little bit. So first, I want to go back to that question. What does it mean to be God? What does it mean to be God? Well, let's take a look. Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 through 25. It's the creation story. It's an, an orderly account of the way in which uh, God made the world. Look at, we're just going to focus in. Uh, so in the beginning, God, he created the heavens and the earth. And then verse 2 says, The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Here's the image uh, that the, the, the author of Genesis has for us, right? Back in uh, the ancient uh, biblical times, the water and darkness, they, they represent chaos, right? Imagine just the storm waters, right? They represent chaos. And so we see here at the very beginning, the earth was without form and void. There was darkness. There was chaos over the face of the chaos waters, over the face of the deep. But there's sort of this promise right there at the beginning. The Spirit of God was hovering over the chaos. And so there's a little bit of foreshadowing. God is going to do something with this chaos. He's going to, he's going to bring about uh, a cosmos. He's going to bring about an orderly world. So we look at verse 3. God said, let there be light. And there was light. And then God saw that light was good. That's key. God saw that light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. And God called the light day. And the darkness he called night. 
And there was evening and there was morning the first day. All right, so what does it mean to be God? What do we get from just this, this very first glimpse, this very first uh, uh, look at Genesis? Well, one, it means to be the one who creates, right? To be the one who is in charge, who is, who is dreaming about and building things into creation. Now, how does God create? What is it that is necessary? What is it that he, that he does? Look at verse 3. And God said. That's all it takes. Right? He just speaks the word. He just speaks the word and creation out of nothing comes something. Miracle of miracles. That's all it takes. He just has to speak the word, which shows us that God's word has power. Right? God doesn't have to go through all these, these hoops. He doesn't have to jump through all these different things. Right? He can say it and it exists. He can say it and it is real. And so what does it mean to be God? It means uh, to be the one who creates. It means to be the one who brings about order out of chaos. And to have the power to speak things into existence. And then what do we find out about his creation? Uh, just looking at that uh, first little section, it gets repeated over and over. But what is God's, uh, as he sort of steps back after the first day of creation, what do we see that he says about what has taken place? We see it first in verse 4. And God saw that the light was good. Right? That gives us a glimpse into God's character. It gives us a glimpse into who he is. Right? We know that he's not some puppet master or, or, or trying to create some torture chamber for us. Right? Because, because what he's done is created order that is good. That is good. And that gets repeated. Look at verse 9. Right? So God creates some more. There's an expanse in the midst of the waters, right? The waters are separated. The chaos is separated. And then we get to verse, uh, where is it? What did I say? Verse 9, is that right? And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear. It's actually verse 10. God called the, the dry land earth and the waters that were gathered together he called seas and God saw that it was good. Then we skip down to verse 12. God saw that it was good. Verse 18, God saw that it was good. 21, God saw that it was good. 25, God saw that it was good. And then we get to verse 31. Now let's just back up just a little bit and let's look at what takes place from verse 26 through verse 30. So God has created in a very orderly way all that is a part of the world uh, that we live in. It's very orderly and put together. Then in verse 26, God said, Let us make man in our own image after our likeness. That's key. We're going to come back to that. Verse 26. After our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish and the sea and over the birds and of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth. And over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And then we see God blessed them. And God gave them orders. 
tells them what they are to do with this land that he has made for them, with this creation that he has made. He said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. He's telling us our role. He says, humans, this is your your role. Notice that there's something special that's going on here. Right? That there's this unique relationship that, that's taking place. God spends a lot of time talking about how we are created and he, he gives us a purpose. So we're, our, our creation is separate, right? It says that we're made uh, in His likeness, in His image, and then we are given a purpose. And we'll see more of that in Genesis chapter 2 here in just a second. Let's skip down to verse 31. God saw everything that he had made. So he stepped back. He took a look at all that had been made over these seven days. And behold, it was, or over these six days. And behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. So God takes a step back and he looks at what he's done. And he says, it is very good. So this is what it means to be God. This is what we can take out of this very first chapter of Genesis chapter 1. To be God is to create, to name Right? He calls, he calls the expanse land, right? the earth. The, he names all that he creates. And then the third is he declares what is good. That's important for us to pick up on. God is the one who declares for us what is good. And he looks back over all of his creation and he says, this is very, very good. Alright, let's take a moment. Let's, let's focus in on us just for a second. I mentioned that, that, that God has a special sort of uh, relationship with us. He has a special purpose for us. We see that purpose in Genesis 1, 28 through 30, which we just read. And so we can say part of our uh, unique role being made in God's image is to steward the land and to cultivate the earth. This is the idea that we are, we are, we are to, to, uh, uh, to work God's kingdom, right? To work the land ourselves. But look at chapter 2. Look at verse, uh, we see in verse 15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. And then skip to verse 18. Then the Lord God said, It's not good that man should be alone. I'll make him a helper fit for him. And then this is one of my favorite stories. I have this image. I don't know where it came from, but I just have this this picture. Uh, uh, the, The story goes, Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. I have this picture of God and Adam just like standing there and there's like this parade of of animals, right? And God's like, Adam, Adam, what do you call this one? And Adam's like, that's a toucan. God's like, yes, yes. What about this one? What about this one? Adam's like, that's a giraffe. Yes, that is a giraffe, Adam. That is what that is. And he just parades and he goes through, you know, that's a clownfish. You know, all of these animals. And he has, but it's kind of an elaborate sort of thing that he does with Adam, right? He says he brings every animal before him and and Adam names every animal. Why would God do that? 
It's so that Adam himself would see that there is not a helper fit for him in the created order as it exists. There is a unique relationship that God has for Adam that he wants him to see, to find that helper that is fit for him. So we see in verse 20, the second half, but for Adam there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, uh, he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh, and then the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man he made into a woman and brought her to the man. And then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones. Adam says, This one's different. Lord, this one's different. Flesh of my flesh, she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Then look at verse 24. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife. A new thing is created, right, in this special relationship that we have with each other. This new relationship, this new thing as man and wife become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. We can get to that in just a second. Let's go back to that idea of purpose and relationship. What do we learn about ourselves in this? What do we learn about God? Well, we've learned, right, that, that God wants to partner with us as he sends us out to, to cultivate the earth, to work his kingdom as, as agents, as priests, as kings ourselves. But we also see here that there's this unique relationship, not just with God that we're called into, but with each other. And that purpose is that we are to partner with each other. Just like we partner with God, we are to be partners one with another. Then we get to verse 25. Isn't that a curious detail to end on? The man and his wife were both naked and not ashamed. Okay. Good to know. <laughs> Why do you think that detail is in there? We're not just physical beings, right? We're spiritual beings. And a lot of times what happens in the physical world mimics what's going on in the spiritual world, right? If, I'm, if I have, you know, anger, you know, if there's frustration and if there's, there's things going on inside me, if my spirit is sort of unsettled and then I, I come home and, and one of my kids uh, does something, spills a glass of, of milk or whatever, and I lash out at them, right? That is a physical uh, reaction to what is actually going on spiritually inside me. We can't take these two things apart, right? We are physical and we are spiritual beings. And so we see here in the physical what is actually taking place in the spiritual. The man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. They had no reason to have any sense of fear. To have any sense of guilt. To have any sense of shame. They were walking in the presence of God himself. And they were completely comfortable. They were completely at ease. Think about that. If Jesus were to walk in this room today, I would not be at ease, right? I'd want to be, but I, I would, I'd have some concerns about what exactly he came to do, right? And yet, we see through their nakedness that they are not ashamed, that they are completely exposed and completely at peace with the way that they have been made, with the role that they have been given, with what, is God, what God has called them to do, with their relationship with God, with their relationship with each other. They had no question about their identity. They had no question about their purpose. They were naked and they were not ashamed. They were in paradise. 
All right, we're gonna we're just gonna summarize what we've learned, and then I'm I'm gonna ask some questions about what this means because we know what comes next is the fall, right? We know that sin enters into the the picture. So in summary, what we've learned, what we see today is that Adam and Eve, they're created to, by God to be in this sort of special partnership with him, the special partnership with each other as they are called to steward and to cultivate the world, right? To, to till the land, to build cities, to create culture that worships God, that glorifies God, that honors his name. That's what we are called to do. And when we do those things, we engage in the work of God himself. That's what he asked us to go and do. And we see as they are uncovered and unashamed that in a physical and spiritual sense, there is this pure union between God and between Adam and Eve. They're in right relationship with each other and with God and with the world. All right, based off of this, would it be good, symbolically, if Adam and Eve had to be covered up for some reason? Would that be a good turn of events based off of what we know now? If Adam and Eve had to, had to, had to hide something, right, had to be clothed by something, that would be... The foreshadowing is that that would not be a good thing. That would not be a good turn, right? All right, what about this? What, would it be good for Adam and Eve to, to listen and to take orders from the animals that Adam had just named? If that were to take place, would that be a good sign about what's happening? Would it be good for, for Adam and Eve to choose that they have the ability to define good for themselves? That they actually have the ability to decide what is good when God's not around. Would that be a good turn of events? And yet all of these things take place in the next chapter of Genesis. And so just as we take a look, this is a story that God calls us up into. It's one that he isn't doing on his own. It's one that we participate in, and we have a role to play in it. And there's lots of thoughts and ideas, and, and really smart people have written really long books about how that, how that relationship works and, and who's ultimately in charge and all these sorts of, of things, right? But what we do know is that two things are true, that God is in charge of his world and his created order, and that he's called us to participate in it somehow in some way, and those things work together. And so we're going to see in this next chapter that, that things don't always uh, go to plan, and yet that doesn't in any way overcome what God has in store, right? That he actually has uh, more in mind for us. All right. I'm going to pray for us. Miracle of miracles. We're on time. This is fantastic. Let me pray for us, and then uh, if you have a moment, I'd love to speak with you before I run to the next service. We do have an 11 o'clock service that will be getting started here. Um, I also do want to say uh, for dismissal, and then I'll acknowledge Drew for a second. Um, as I mentioned earlier, if you will make your way that direction, if you need to pick up uh, children, and they will be uh, in the hallway with their classes, and you can uh, check them out. Drew, did you have something? Oh, thank you. Thank you. Yes. I knew I hired him for a reason. Very good, Drew. Very good. Okay, this is an important part of what we're trying to do, right? So, so one of our convictions here at St. John's is that, is that the way that the world works, the way, that, the way that God has created the world to work, right, his kingdom is that there are two discipleship centers that need to be up and running and fully functioning. And that's this here at the church, St. John's, right? So we're being formed as disciples, but also the home. 
Right? What we're going to see as we go through the story is that God uses the family in very unique and compelling ways to tell his story. And so the home needs to be a place in which disciples are formed. Right? We spend some time with your kids, but you spend the majority of your time with your kids or with your grandkids or your nieces and nephews. Your influence cannot be quantified. It is tremendous. And so we want to help you in that role as disciplers. And so we have this, this homework, and it's, uh, it's called family homework, but it's more for everybody, whether it's somebody in your household or a close friend. There's opportunities here for everybody to engage with this. It's really simple. This is how we can live out what we are learning. So there's going to be little pieces of homework that we assign each week, and I would love to hear the stories uh, of how this goes uh, at week in and week out. So, so this is your homework for today. Sometime this week... I want you to, de- to delight in something that is good. Whatever that is for you. Whatever that is for you that, that, that pulls on your heartstrings. Delight in something good. But then, with whoever you're engaging with that with, whoever's with you when you do that, talk about how good it is. Ask why is it so good. How did it come to be so good, right? Take your kids for ice cream, we say, right? Talk about how good it is. Go and buy a a good beer or a good meal, a good cup of coffee, and just talk about it. Go to a concert, right? Ask why it's good and have a conversation about where goodness comes from. This is a way that we can sort of shape our minds and and shape our habits is by doing little things like this as we uh, go about our world, that we're intentional about the way we walk through the world, that we don't just enjoy what God's given us, but that we intentionally think it through and give him credit for it. Okay, so that's the family homework. Very good. Um, I've got an announcement I'm going to make at the 11 o'clock service, uh, something that Ron gave me I'm excited about, uh, but we need to go for now. So let me pray for us. Thank you all for being here. Uh, We'll be back at it next week, same time, same place. Lord, we thank you uh, that you are a good God, that you have called into order out of chaos this created world that we are in. Lord, we thank you, Father, that to be God means to create and to name and to define what is good, Lord. And we know that sometimes we try to take that power for ourselves. So Lord, we pray as we go about this week that you uh, would do a work in us, that you would convict us in those ways in which we try to sit on your throne, where we try to be you, uh, where we try to be Lord of our own lives. Lord, would you convict us of that, and then would you remind us of your forgiveness? Would you remind us of, of, of just how far you're willing to go to show us that even despite that, that you love us and that you want to be with us, that you want to equip us to do good things in this world? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.